0: This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Overjoyed that you're here with us this morning. If you're new, I just want to extend an extra special welcome to you. My name's Ryan. I am the lead pastor here. It's a joy to have you, regardless of how you came uh, to join us this morning. Somebody might have lied to you and told you you're going to breakfast. Um, Laughter not totally a lie. We do have refreshments out there. You can count as breakfast. So um, we're glad you're here. Uh, we believe that God has a word for you, regardless of how you walk in these doors this morning. Regardless of how you walk in these doors. Um, because our conviction is that he is alive. He's alive. And because he is, our expectations rise a little bit. Um, and so that's how I enter this morning um, high expectations of the way that God will move in our midst. Would you pray with me? Jesus, as we uh, open your word, we would invite you to be our teacher. Lord, you know every single person in this room. You know every hair on our head. You know what our weeks looked like. You know what our, our life has looked like. And Lord, you long to meet us. And so our posture is open. What would you say, Spirit? How would you move? you point us to Jesus? It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Last summer, uh, my family and I, we were up in the mountains visiting my wife's parents. And we decided to go uh, to the swimming pool. The kids love to swim. And <clears throat> so my wife, Kelly, myself, and Kelly's mom, we uh, all had the kids. We have three kids, so that's a one-to-one ratio. We're, we're three-on-three there. Um, you'd think we'd be doing great, but this was a typical case of everybody else thinks somebody else is watching the kids. And we walked into that pool, and um, no sooner than we walked in the door of the pool, I hadn't even put our towels down on the bench yet, I saw a lifeguard run past me. And I turned to Kelly and I said, I hope Avery didn't fall in the pool. Now that's Father of the Year award material right there. Well, the lifeguard, she grabbed her flotation device and she ran and she jumped into the lazy river um, because the lazy parents weren't doing their job. <laughs> and off of the bottom of the pool, she pulls my three-year-old daughter. She pulls her up out of the water my daughter Avery, her eyes are as big as saucers as you can well imagine. And after I finished writing my acceptance speech for my Father of the Year award, I went over and I grabbed her and I held her a little bit tighter than I've ever held her before. And I asked her a simple question Sweetie, what were you thinking? <laughs> I mean, like Greg Luganis, you pulled a swan die. I mean, what were you thinking? Um, just between you and I, Avery, you can't swim case in point. I thought of that story because I think a lot of us, if we were to sort of take a collective gauge of our soul, if we were to to just be sort of wide open and honest with what's going on in our life, there's a lot of stressors and pressure in life, aren't there? And I think a lot of us, we, we feel like that if we were honest. And I know this is church, so that's a hard place to be on. But if we were honest... We were, I think we would say to God, God, there's so much going on, the pain of, of broken relationships, a child that maybe has cut off relationship with you, a job that just doesn't seem to be coming through, you've been trying to get pregnant for years and it doesn't seem like it's happening. It's easy to come into an Easter celebration where we're um, supposed to be happy and joyful, And really, sometimes this holiday, I'm experiencing that this year, this holiday, when we think about the reality of what Jesus has done and the price that he's paid, it can be hard because we think about it uh, for people who have gone on and are experiencing it in its fullness. And so it can be easy, even on an Easter Sunday, to come in and to sort of feel like the hope meter in our life is running a little bit low But I want to invite you this morning, I have this conviction that the passage of scripture we're going to look at this morning, if we were to really believe it, my conviction is that it might be like a life preserver for us today, that the God of the universe wants to throw us a life preserver and say, hey, it's not just possible to get by, you can do that probably without him, but it's possible to get by with hope and joy and life because the grave is empty. His tomb is empty. When he walked out, he purchased for you, you ready for this? Hope. It was this conviction for the early followers of Jesus that they held pretty tightly and pretty boldly. I think in some ways, our Easter celebration, quote unquote, might be a little bit comical to an early follower of Christ. I mean, to take one day to celebrate the resurrection every year, I think they'd go, well, Bravo. Wait, what? What? A day? A day every year? So they changed their entire weekly calendar to revolve around the resurrection. You understand that? Before Jesus walks out of the grave, worship happens on a Saturday. After he walks out of the grave on a Sunday, they say, That's probably a better day to worship. Let's do it then. (laughs) Why? Well, Well, because the grave is empty. And for them, it changed everything. You see, the early church, these early followers of Jesus that we're going to read about this morning, they did not gather together around a belief. They didn't gather to ground and say, here's what we believe, and here's a theology we hold true, and here's, they gathered around something completely different than a belief. They gathered around, you ready for it, an event. That's what they gathered around. They gathered around this conviction. Hey, we saw him dead on the cross. Side note, Roman soldiers were really, really good at killing people. They did not get this wrong, regardless of what you've heard on the History Channel this week with the so-called experts who are going to unpack why Jesus was only part dead. No, no, no. Roman soldiers were really good at killing people. They had a great track record. They did it often. Now, the early church, they didn't gather around a belief. They gathered around a conviction that Jesus was dead, and he walked out of the tomb. And it was this conviction that shaped their whole community, it turned this little ragtag group of followers of Christ who were, who were carpenters, who were fishermen, who were homemakers, who, as the world standard was back in the day, did not have it going on. And it absolutely, like a catapult, launched them into the world in a way where the world has never been the same. You know what's interesting is to watch secular historians try to explain why the church exists. Because there's really no explanation for it apart from the resurrection. Listen to the way that this um, uh, scholar and professor at Yale puts it, um, Kenneth Scott Lorette. He writes this. The more one examines the various factors which seem to account for the extraordinary victory of Christianity, the more one is driven to search for a cause underlying them all. It is clear that at the very beginning of Christianity there must have occurred a vast release of energy virtually unequaled in history nothing could explain the surge of the early christian movement what caused this release of energy lies outside the realm in which modern historians are supposed to move so he goes listen it's it's there it's real but i don't have an answer for it He goes on to say, but before I'm a historian, I'm a human. How can I close my eyes to the obvious explanation that something supernatural happened? And you see, here's what happened. When Jesus walks out of the tomb, Holding the check that's cleared where he says, your sins are forgiven, life eternal is paid for, hope is found in me. What he does is he gives every believer this buoy of hope and he says, you don't just, you don't just get by anymore, you can actually rest and live and dwell in hope everlasting. It's why we are here today. And I think that maybe, just maybe, God has a word of hope for you this morning. But here's a big idea we want to wrap our hearts and our minds around. It's this. It's simple, but I think it's profound. The resurrection is not a day that we're supposed to celebrate. It's a hope we're invited to live. The resurrection isn't simply a day to be celebrated. We'll do that, and we hope we do it well. But more than that, it's a day, it's a life to be lived. See, the resurrection doesn't just give us a new destiny when we die. It gives us a new way to live. Not just a new destiny when we die, a new way to live. When Jesus walks out of the tomb, the declaration is a new day has dawned. And God is up to something. And the something is, he's making all things new. Not just when we die, but today. But today. I love the way that Peter puts it in the sermon we're going to look at this morning. But he, in Acts chapter 2, verse 26, says this. He says, therefore, speaking of the resurrection, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced and my flesh will also dwell in hope. That's our theme this morning because we believe that in Jesus there's hope and we believe that as people we need it. We need it. Other translations will say that we're invited to live in hope, to rest in hope, to pitch our tent in hope. But the point is simple. When Jesus comes... What he brings changes everything, changes everything. Well, as I mentioned, we're going to look at the very first sermon by a follower of Jesus ever recorded. Acts chapter 2, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, we're going to have all of the scripture up on the screen that we're going to look at this morning. Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 22. Let me give you a little bit of context for the passages we're going to be camping out in. This story, this account takes place after Jesus has lived, has died, has walked out of the tomb. He spent 40 days with his followers, teaching them about the kingdom of God. He ascended to heaven, and the Spirit of God, 10 days later, the Holy Spirit descends and indwells every single believer And so Peter gets up boldly in front of people to preach this first sermon after the Holy Spirit has taken residence in him. And here's what he says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Quick time out. Throughout this sermon, Peter's going to, I think, give these dramatic rhetorical pauses. And he goes, Jesus, a man, you touched him, flesh and bone. He walked with you. He ate with you. He spent time with you. He did miraculous signs. Dramatic pause. Anyone want to argue it? No? Okay. Great. And he goes on. This Jesus... Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified, killed by the hands of lawless men. You see this like, this beautiful collision of God's sovereign act of saying, I'm going to redeem, it's my plan, and human will converging where people. Lawless men killed Jesus. It comes together in this beautiful collision called God's divine plan. He says, but God raised him up, loosing the pangs or the cords of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I don't know if you, you caught it, but here's what Peter said. First ever sermon. No intro, no funny. Let's like just lighten the mood a little bit. He launches with Jesus was um, performing miracles. He was the son of God. He was man, and you killed him. That doesn't get you a lot of friends. I mean, there's no, oh, yes and amen. Let's take an offering right after that. It's silent. Silent. But in this reality, and and hey, quick time out, quick time out. You and I killed him too. I mean, our sin was what put him there, his love for us was what held him there. And in this statement, Peter makes, he gives us this, this fresh breath of hope that flows from the cross and from the empty tomb. And he says, here's the deal. You can dwell in hope because the plan of God is two things. It's sufficient for you and it's unstoppable. He goes, this was God's plan. You know how long it took for God's plan to be worked in the person and work of Jesus for your redemption and mine? Ballpark, about 7,000 years between the time when God says I will make a way and the time when he does make a way. (laughs) It's a long time. You know, I'm humbled by that. I'm humbled by that because so much of the time I play this game with God. God, I've got a plan. And God, I've got a timeline. And you're not moving on my plan and my timeline. And so we need to have a talk. Talk. We need to have a talk. May may I propose to you that if the God of the universe is able to um, work his salvation story over the course of a few thousand years through various people, through different languages, through different movements of time, through all these things, if he's able to do that hypothetically, is it possible that he's able to work a plan in your life too? And so much of the time, I think we lose hope because we feel backed into a corner. By that I mean, from our eyes, we can't see God, how are you going to make a way in this situation? And what the resurrection reminds us is that we can trust that this God who conquers death has a plan for you, and for me. And here's what he says to us very clearly. I am able to work everything that happens in your life for good if you love me and are called according to my purpose. Not I'm able to work some things, or I'm able to work most things, but I'm able to work everything. Easter's a three-day story. I mean, Jesus crucified on a Friday, raised to life on a Sunday. Saturday seems just silent, doesn't it? And if we were to take a poll, my guess is that's where a lot of us live. With that question burrowing in the back of our mind God, are you going to be good in this? God, are you going to make a way? I know your word says that you began a good work in me and you're going to be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So I'm I'm holding on to that and I just want to hold out this hope for you this morning. He has a plan. He's working in your life. Don't let go of it. He hasn't. He hasn't. Don't let go. So that person in your family, your son, your daughter, who's who's addicted to drugs, and they are just flat out denying it. I'm gonna. He's got a he's got a plan. He's still at work. That job that you feel like isn't coming through. He's got a plan. That hope and that dream that just seems dashed. Will you trust him and will you rest in the reality of this empty tomb? That following a Saturday is a Sunday, and he walks out of the grave. See, we can dwell in hope because our God is powerful and he has a plan. Well, Peter continues in the sermon and he says this. He's in a quote from an Old Testament psalm. He says, For David says concerning him, talking about Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me. He's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced and my flesh, my body will also dwell in hope. He says it about Jesus, but because of the resurrection, it's true for us too. And this is great news for those of you that feel like you're sort of drowning under the weight of what you brought in from the world this morning. Because he doesn't just say, I've got a plan in your mess. Way, way, way better than that, he says, I've got presence in your mess also. So I'm not just charting a way for you to go but I'm giving myself to you to walk with you in the midst of whatever life brings. So Paul would write to the church of Ephesus that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, lives in you. So as we gather around this event this morning, this resurrection where the the tomb is empty, where death is defeated, we're also gathering around the reality that that power that did that resides and lives in you. So you tell me what's too big. You tell me what's going on in your life that you don't think God can handle. And see, a lot of us, we go in, we come in, we go through life thinking, God, I need, I need something. I need something. I need a change in my, in my bank account. I need a change in my relationships. I need a change in my health. I need, I need something. And the God of the universe in the resurrection story tells us you don't need something. You need someone. And as David writes and Peter states again, God is ever before me. He's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. It's true for you too, friend. It's true for you too. His point and all that, why? Why can you believe that? Well, well, because the tomb is empty. Jesus walked out. He's alive. He defeated death. He makes this radical statement in verse 32 where he says this, This Jesus, whom God raised up, and of that, we are all witnesses. Another dramatic pause. Okay? Because at this point, at this point, anybody in the crowd can go, Oh, no. No, I've seen, I, I, I saw him. I know where his body is. Let's go find it right now. You know why Christianity is the only religion that claims its founder conquered death? You know why? And it is. It's the only one. Do you know why? It's the easiest statement to disprove if it's not true. Especially within few weeks of his death happening. So so Peter goes, well, you you all know that. And nobody raises their hand and goes, no, it's a hoax. Let's go go find the body. Let's go disprove this whole Christianity thing. Hey, if they had, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't. So their claim, this resurrection, hope-filled life is important. Why? Because it claims, it points to, it grounds us in the reality that he's always with us, that he will not leave us, that he won't forsake us. But I don't know about you, but I lose sight of that in life. When life gets difficult, when times get hard, I lose sight of the fact that this God is always before me, and so oftentimes I'm, I'm shaken. I read a, a few weeks ago this study that they were doing about injuries that have been on the increase um, by people, for people who are hurt while they're texting. So, so people are texting and walking, and they injure themselves. True story, true story. I read, about, I read about a lady who went on vacation, and she was on a pier. Now, the only reason you go somewhere that has a pier on vacation is if you live somewhere that doesn't. And so, she is in God's beautiful creation at the ocean, and she's texting. And she texts herself right off of the edge of the pier. And as soon as I went, are you stinking kidding me? I sensed the Holy Spirit just sort of stirring me. Ryan, you miss me all the time. You're so caught up in the pace of life and the things going on and the worries of the world that they sort of, they just crouch in around you and, you and you miss me and it's easy to do because here's the thing, in order to dwell in hope, we need to rest long enough to recognize his presence. And we're so divided that we often don't, that we often don't. Peter continues, he says this, verse 26 or verse 27, 28. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your holy one see corruption. You're going to redeem my body. You've made known to me the paths of life, and you make me full of gladness with your presence. Isn't that a great passage? You made known to me the path of life, King Jesus, and you make me glad in your presence as I walk with you. He then goes on to explain in his sermon the life, death, burial, resurrection, and victory of Jesus, and he comes to this conclusion, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, as in, hey, I want you to really get this, that God has made him both Lord and Christ This Jesus, whom you crucified. Peter's first sermon has a really simple theme. The theme's name is Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about him for for Peter, for these folks, because he conquers death, he walks out of the grave. And so the theme is simply, it's all about Jesus. Jesus. It's about trusting in his sacrifice. It's about walking with his spirit, knowing his grace and mercy, and it's about living in his joy. And so Peter takes this life preserver and to confuse people who've gotten beat down in the world, he says this, you can dwell in hope because the pathway of God is really, really simple. It's all about Jesus. It's about following him. It's about knowing the truth that his body didn't see decay and his resurrection points to your one-day reality. Do you know one day you'll have a body like his resurrected body? Those you've lost who who know the Lord, you will see them again. It's what Easter declares to us. But that hope isn't just left for someday. That hope trickles down into today. Because resurrection reality changed everything for these early followers of Christ. Listen to the way that Tim Keller puts it when he says this. He says, early Christians, for them, the resurrection transformed their worldview. I'll just pause. Has it, has it transformed yours? Or is it a holiday we're going to get together with some family, eat some ham, enjoy some time together? Changed their worldview. They had a resurrection centered view of reality. They believed that the future resurrection had already begun in Jesus, that Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection and brings some of the future new life into our hearts today. And so he takes it and he throws it out there and he says, Hope is possible. Redemption is near. This Jesus when he walks out of the grave declares, I'm making all things new. So there's this invitation extended. Make make him Lord. Make him Lord. It's easy to admire Jesus. It's easy to even believe in Jesus. We can gather here this morning and go, okay, yeah, well, we believe in the resurrection. We're here, right? But to make him Lord, that's something completely other than just simply believing or agreeing. To make him Lord states, we'll walk in your way, King Jesus. The path you chart, we'll we'll walk with you. Where you invite us to, to love our enemies, to forgive those who hurt us to pray for those who persecute us, to go the extra mile with those whom we may not even agree with. It's what it means to make Jesus the Lord. He's inviting us to a way of life where we receive grace over law, where we receive instead of earn, where we live life with him based on dutiful delight rather than religion-laden obedience. There's a difference where we embrace trusting over working, and where we live in hope over despair. Jesus is Lord. It was a revolutionary term for the early followers of Jesus. Um, The Roman Empire had this terminology, and every time they walked into a city and just laid it waste, they would make everybody say, Caesar is Lord, and make no mistake about it, when Peter, in this very first Easter sermon, quote unquote, claims that Jesus is Lord, he's starting a revolution of people that will say we're not just going to get in line with the rest of the world, but resurrection hope is going to redefine the way we see everything. His grace and his mercy showered down on us will change the way that we interact with our world. Well, the people, they they had this great question. Listen to it. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Quick time out, quick timeout. Let me put some, some sort of emotive feelings around what that means. Um, as, they, as they heard this word of God that Peter preached, the Holy Spirit stirred in their hearts and some way, somehow they had this conviction, Peter, what you're saying is true. And it's not just true in general, it's, it's true right here. So for you, it might be, as you sit here this morning, and maybe you're, quote, unquote, you think you're far away from God, you've wandered away, you're wondering how his grace could hunt you down, but as we talk about his goodness and his mercy, your heart starts to beat a little bit fast, your palms start to get a little bit sweaty. That's called being cut to the heart. And Peter said, and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? What should we do? And in one of the clearest, most succinct ways to give your life to Jesus, Peter responds, and he says, repent. That, that's simply a change in mind that leads to a change in direction, not the other way around. It's not a change in behavior that, that then at some point positions you to be accepted by God. It's this unbelievable repentance. It's this unbelievable reality. God, I can't believe you would love me in this state. I'm walking directly away from you. And so I'm going to turn and I'm going to walk towards you. You better believe that changes the way that you act and that you live. But repentance is a change in belief. God, you're good even in this. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise, the promise of forgiveness, of life everlasting, of hope not just for today but for every day. This promise, he says, It's for you. Will you look up at me, me for just a moment? It's for you. It's for you, and it's for your kids, it's for your children, and it's for those who are far off. Now, here's the thing. You may have walked in these doors this morning, and you're gonna put yourself in that far off category. Bible's a step ahead of you. You can't go there and go, hey, I'm too far off for him. I've done too much for him to forgive me. I've done too much for him to redeem me. I'm too far down this road. No, no, no. The Bible already made provision for you to not be able to say that his grace is too small to cover your sin. Because this promise, this promise of hope, this promise for redemption, this promise is for you, for your children, and for all of those who are far off. May I propose to you it's a reason we can dwell in hope this morning? That this promise of God is forgiveness and life, both now and everlasting. This is the heart of the gospel, friends. It's not an exchange between you and God. It's not you bring a little bit to the table, and he brings some to the table too. And you have this beautiful meeting in the middle where you're both adding to it. No, no, no. He says, it's my promise, and I've earned it, and I've purchased it. And here's why you can never be too far off, is because it doesn't have anything to do with you. It was him hanging on the cross. It was him paying for your sins. Regardless of how many there are and how bad you think they are, it was his sacrifice that bridged the gap. You Tell me where you're at in that. You're just the one who in your mind thinks you're too far off. That's all you bring to the table. That and the sin that made his sacrifice necessary. This is great news friends this is great news that because of the blood of jesus we can say for certain sin has been paid for guilt and shame have no place in your life if you're a follower of christ he paid for it all on the cross and and you may be going all right there's got to be an asterisk on that passage paulson i've checked there's not Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No asterisks, no note at the bottom, except fill in your name right here. No. So, even what you did last night, forgiven on the cross, redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, what you did then, what you did this morning, and what you did at any point in your life, past, present, future, paid for, it's over, it's done, it's finished. You can clap for that. That's good news. Good news. Hey man, if I'm the only person that gets excited about resurrection, I'm doing something wrong. So It changed everything for the early followers of Christ. My prayer, my prayer is that it would change everything for you too. That it would change everything for you too. I think there's people that are in a a few camps this morning, so I just want to talk to you for, for a second. There's some of you who are like these listeners in this passage saying, all right, great news, what do we do? What do we do? And you've never made a commitment to Jesus. I think the day of salvation is today for some people sitting in this room. And so I'll tell you exactly what the scriptures say and what Peter responds to these people repent- Trust in his grace and his mercy. Trust in the cross to cover and pay for your sins. The resurrection is God's declaration. It's finished. It's done. I remember them no more. Give your life to him. Jesus, your Lord, you have me, not just parts of me, that every piece of me. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts, then we will be saved. That day's today for some of you. The second place you might be in is is you may have grown up in church and your parents drug you back today. Or you may have been a follower of Jesus for a long time and you've wandered away. His gracious invitation to you this morning is what we sang in that song, Grace So Glorious, that all are welcomed home. Not some, but all. This promise this amazing, life-changing, eternity-altering promise is for all. The Bible says you just simply have to receive it. So maybe this morning is a coming home of sorts. And then there's some of you that you walk in this door and you're just unempty. empty. And you just need a breath of hope this morning. Can I tell you, He rose from the grave in order to deliver it. Hope is here. Hope is here. He's got a plan. In your situation, his presence has not left you. He's always before you. He has charted a clear pathway. The pathway's name is Jesus. He's inviting you in his grace and in his glory to walk with him, being recipients of this promise, forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. Some of you, you're here this morning to hear from the Holy Spirit of God speaking to your soul, cutting you to the heart to say, this message of hope is for you. It's for you. As I invite the band back up, I wanna close with one simple reality, and it's this. The resurrection hope is received through faith in the resurrected Savior. Amen. Amen. Resurrection hope is received through faith in the resurrected Savior. And what we want to do is I just want to create some space. I want to create some space for God to speak to your heart. And so as we uh, listen to this song the band's going to play, will you just maybe ask God one simple question? Would you ask him, hey, Jesus, if the resurrection is real, what does that mean for my life today? Some of you, it may mean today's the day of faith. Some of you, it might mean today's the day you're coming home. And some of you, it might mean today's the day where the resurrection power breathes hope into what you thought was a hopeless situation. I'm going to ask the band to play the song as they do so. You just ask Jesus that question. I'll trust that he's going to answer and then I'll come back up and lead us in our closing together. King Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we would ask you now, would you stir our hearts? Would you cut us to the heart? Lord, those in this room that need a fresh breath of hope, would you stir it in them as we listen to this song? Lord, those who've wandered away from the faith and even maybe walked in these doors determined to not believe, would you speak to them? Would you call them out of the darkness they're living in into your majestic, unbelievable light? And Lord, for those of us that need a fresh breath of hope, Spirit, we trust you to breathe it. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.